Leadership is a responsibility, not a position. Welcome to Leading from the Front with Dr. Gary McGrath, where experienced leaders share their own brand of leadership to help you develop and improve your own leadership capabilities. And now, here's your host, Dr. Gary. I'm Dr. Gary, making good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability. Welcome again to Leading from the Front, where leadership is a responsibility, not a position. And today's guest is a self-proclaimed recovering workaholic. She was known as the go-to person for getting things done and managing the most difficult clients at a Fortune 500 consulting firm. She thrived in challenging situations, proving to others time and time again that she was invincible until her mental and physical health suffered. She decided to create a new professional and personal life that aligned with what she valued most. With these choices, she feels more successful, is happier, more financially secure, and she is helping others do the same. As a leadership coach, She helps managers and leaders increase productivity and performance by strengthening their confidence and people skills. When she isn't developing leaders, she spends time with her husband and five children and hitting the trails with her beloved English Springer Spaniel, Brutus. Uh, We used to raise Springer Spaniels when I was a kid, so that's near and dear to my heart. So please welcome to Leading from the Front, Jen Chapman. Hi, Jen. Hi, Gary. It's great to be here. Thank you. So, Jen, let's let's go back into those days of invincibility and let's talk a little bit about that and what got you to the point where you had to make some tough decisions about yourself. What was that like when you were working? How did you get started? So I had started my career working for two different nonprofit organizations and I got a lot of really great experience there. And then I had an opportunity to transfer those skills at a large consulting firm And one thing that I noticed quickly was that the go-getters were the ones that were rewarded, whether it's from attention or bonuses. And I thought, okay, well, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to show that I'm the best. And so I, I got that reputation and then I proved myself in one area and then they stuck me into a different situation. And, and I loved the people I worked with, uh, very smart, very talented. But I'm sure as many people in your audience know, when you work with a lot of really smart, talented people in a go-getter kind of a company, you lose sight of what's, quote, normal. <laughs> and I found myself working mm. 60, 70, sometimes 80-hour work weeks. And I didn't stop to ask myself, is this what I want because it just was what was needed to be done and to keep rising up through the ranks. Well, for you at that point, it was it was normal. That was exactly. what you saw as normal with all the people around you, right? Yeah, sure. Okay. So then I, I hit a point where I started having severe sinus issues and uh, migraine headaches. And in fact, I had two sinus surgeries in the same year. My ENT said he'd never seen anything like it. And that gave me pause. Like, am I doing something that's causing these things to happen and, and get worse? And in the meantime, you know, I, I think I became a lot more worried about what other people thought of me than I did about what I thought of myself. 
And I found myself comparing me to other people. And I didn't like how that felt. I, I started having some feelings mm. of inadequacy and, and it would just push me to drive myself harder. And then, of course, it would just backfire and causing more stress, more anxiety, working longer hours, not getting enough rest, and then being susceptible to more, more illness. And I got in this swirl that I did not want to be in at all. So when, when did the realization come to you, the connection between the way you were living your life and your health? When did that occur to you? It was probably actually not for, a f- <laughs> it took a few years. And uh, I had some family, my father passed suddenly. And then I had just some other things going on that all seemed to hit the fan at the same time. And, and that, well, and actually when my father passed away, I took some unexpected time off of work. And do you know what I discovered? The world didn't end with me out of the office for two weeks. <laughs> what? Yeah, wait a right? minute, wait a minute. And I wasn't sure what I thought of that at first. Because on one hand, you're like, oh, am I that replaceable? But at the same time, it was, no, wow, Jen, you have created this team that is so confident and so capable that they were able to just keep on going without you there. And it allowed me to focus on my family and this unexpected thing happened. It was the day before my brother's wedding. I mean, it was really crazy. And, and, Mm -hmm. but it was, I think that was probably a big turning point with me seeing I need to be able to be present for the people I love and I can take that space without the world falling apart. Yeah. And there's a, there's a lesson in here when we talk in leadership about everything is from the inside out and you can only last so long on an island as the saying goes, right? No, no person's an island. And eventually all of this hard work and this, not just the hard work, but as you talk about it, it's kind of this mindset of comparison and negativeness and inadequacy and all of these things that just kind of wear you out Mm -hmm. mentally, physically, and spiritually that when you're in the middle of it, how we can be so unaware that it's just destroying us. Yes. And I learned that if you don't set boundaries for yourself, your company is not going to set them for you. And in fact, over the next couple of years after my father passed and this realization I had, my company that I worked for went public and that put a whole lot more pressure on the billable hours and the winning proposals. And then they did this massive cut in leadership and the level above me, a lot, ton of people got laid off. And so what happened? Those responsibilities came down onto my level. And I remember distinctly, it was November of 2011, getting a phone call from my supervisor saying, Jen, we're going to double the number of staff that you supervise. We're going to increase your proposal requirements for getting new work. And you're still expected to get, you know, X numbers of billable hours in a week. And I said, well, is there a title change? No. Uh, Is there a salary change? No. (laughs) And I hung up the phone. And that was the day I thought, if I'm going to work that hard, it's going to be for me. And that's when I got my business plan together and made my plan for 
jumping off that crazy rat race. And I started my company on leap day of 2012. That's the day I took my big leap. So it's it's interesting that an external force is what finally came to cause you to make a choice to take care of yourself, that you were you're pushing yourself so hard, you know, that your your health was at risk. And yet you still had to lose a boss, increase your responsibility, increase the number of people, increase your goals, maintain your billable hours. Oh, and we're not going to pay you anything either. And, you know, when I see something like that, I have to tell you, I I just think it's part of a strategy to get rid of you. (laughs) Right. (laughs) It sounds like it. I mean, and actually they lost a lot of really great talent in that next year because a lot of people like me said enough and, you know, you're just going to take everything and I have to set some limits on what I'm willing to give. I thought there's got to be a better way. And what drove me especially crazy was that this was a company that helped other clients with leadership best practices. (laughs) I'm looking around going, "Um, I'm pretty sure these aren't leadership best practices. And And I was just determined to create a company and a culture that aligned with my values, that used best leadership practices and could be successful in a business. And I have found that absolutely to be true. So you decide you decide to go out on your own and there's always a pretty significant transition. Okay. When I started my first business, I realized nine months into it when I didn't have any other new clients that I needed to sell something, you know, it's it's kind of a realization. Right. And, and I needed, there's other things that I learned from that, like getting a, a book and products and programs and terminal degrees and all that stuff that I worked on for the next 15 years after my first business. So there was things that I learned from that failure. What was the transition like going from this corporate world of having everything handed to you to work on, getting a salary, to now it all stops? Tell me a little bit about that transition. <laughs> so I'm not going to lie. I, I For a million dollars, I wouldn't relive that first 18 months, especially that first year on my own. And, and what's funny is sometimes people will leave a position and, okay, I'm going to set up my own shop and everything's going to be great. I worked more hours. Like if I was working a consistent 70 hour work week before I was working a consistent 85 work week when I went on my own boundaries went out the window. I was working on weekends and I I had people, my brothers would call me out on it and say, Hey, I thought you were going to make a company that really valued its employees. What are you doing working on a Saturday? And, and, And it was great to have people keep me in check with that. Yeah, but hold on a second. Hold on a second. In that 18 months, what happened to your health? Hmm. You know, that's a great question. My health actually did great. But I have to say, I just worked and slept. And that really was was mm-hmm. it. And I, you know, I didn't, my social life took a big hit. I did have family time Sundays. Sundays I guarded as a recharge day, a family day, a holy day for me. Like between one and one thirty in the afternoon, you had family day. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I take the whole Sunday. Oh, well, there you go. Okay. But yeah, it, I mean, it was an exhausting year, but I, the purpose was so different that it wasn't an emotional hardship on me like my previous job had been because I could see that my work was bringing forth fruit that for me, it was like a six to eight month sales cycle which I think is 
you know, pretty typical. And so that, you know, for those who think about going out on their own, just be ready to have things take a while to get going. And then once they get going, then, then it goes. But yeah, I had, I had the confidence. I had the support from friends and family. And that is, I think, what saved me from a health perspective that year. Yeah. So it's, it's really fascinating. And I, I didn't know the answer, but I, I assumed the answer that your health got better because now you're working for yourself. Now you don't feel this pressure. First of all, one of the things that you said earlier was comparison and concern about the opinion of others. All of that went away. Mm-hmm. You didn't care about what the opinion of others. In fact, with, with your family and them telling you, you know, Jen, you need to slow down a little bit. You go, Oh yeah, I'll slow down eventually, you know, but it, it wasn't judgmental stuff. It was people that loved you and were just making you aware of some balance, but you how you didn't feel unbalanced at that point because you were you were fulfilling a purpose. It's a different feeling, right? Exactly. And one thing that has been so helpful is when I look back in time and I see, okay, here's where I quit my consulting job. Here's where I started my own business. Here's when I was able to live on what I made and kind of start slowing down on how many hours I was working. Then I thought, okay, I need to make my social life more of a priority. And wouldn't you know, like three months after I intentionally thought that, I met my husband. And then we got engaged. And then I became an instant stepmom of three kids. I moved from Washington, D.C. to Indianapolis. And I mean, there was so much transition and change. We could have a whole separate podcast on that. But what was so cool was I had laid this groundwork that I could be mobile. I could have flexible work hours. I, you know, suddenly I can say, well, I'm not working a five-day work week anymore, or I'm not working an eight-hour work day. I, and even still, so I now I have three stepchildren and two biological children. And today my son gets out of school early because Wednesdays they do that. And guess what? I'm cutting my workday short so I can spend some extra time with him when he gets home from school. And that's gold. I mean, I, I love that power to decide where I'm going to put my energy and my time for each day. Yeah. And the, the fact is, is that the 18 months that you dedicated to getting the foundation that was needed to run your business and all the hours and everything you put in, you were learning as you were going along. You know, you were getting healthy, actually, mm-hmm. mentally, physically, spiritually healthy, even during that, because you were focused on a purpose and feeling good about yourself. Like you said, you were working and sleeping. Okay. And it worked for you. And what I've told people, entrepreneurs in the past, like you're saying, it takes, it always takes longer than you think it's going to. And the difference is not just working. You know, a lot of people say, I work really hard. I'm doing my best. As you're, when you're an entrepreneur, it's not about doing your best. It's about doing whatever it takes. Mm. You know, and I, I mean that in all the legal sense and ethical and moral sense for doing whatever it takes. But that's what you were doing. You were doing what it takes to be successful. But it's it's a different, completely different feeling. And this inside out requirement as a leader now makes you a better person, makes you a better wife, Absolutely. a better mother, and a better consultant. In that order. Yes, I would agree completely with that. 
So what do you, what do you today? And I'll, by the way, I love the fact that you say, you know, I make sure I arrange my day so you can be there when your son gets home. When my first business, I didn't have a lot of business. That was part of my problem. But when the kids got home at three or four in the afternoon, I used to go out. They were 10 and seven. I'd go play football with them. I'd go play basketball, baseball. I hung out with them. And that really for uh, six years really helped me bond with my sons and uh, was some, some great times. And they didn't see the worry on my face that I wasn't going to be able to pay the mortgage. Let's not worry about that. <laughs> Let's go play soccer. <laughs> you know. But today, now you, you have a company where you're actually developing leaders, working with executives. And I love this myself because I always tell people there's nothing more in direct line for leadership as a responsibility, not a position than being a coach and a consultant where you have no power. You have no power. It's all about competency and influence and relationships and being able to convince people that you have a value to offer. Right. So how, how is that transition going for you? What you're doing today with, you know, leadership coaching and how do you relate that to leadership? Well, one thing that, came to mind as you were talking just now is I, one thing I didn't mention before is that those last few months where I was at my consulting job, they were really fun. (laughs) They were the best few months I had the whole time I was there. Why? Because I didn't care. I didn't care what anybody thought of me. I had an exit strategy, right? And so I was looking for how can I help my staff Um, There were people who were close to getting fired because they weren't getting their billable hours in. So I'm like strategically giving people enough work that they weren't going to be hit with all this crazy stuff that was going on. I knew I couldn't affect the whole company culture, but I could sure affect my team and make sure they felt safe. They felt secured. They felt appreciated. And I often think back to that time and, and I'm curious about, you know, how could I have been so much happier in that job if I had just stayed and continued with that? I don't care mindset. And probably yes. So a lot of what I do now as I work with leaders in other organizations is you don't have to go out and have your own gig to be happy at work. It's But it's the same principles. It's having those clear boundaries. It's having your values and making sure they're aligned to the people that you're working for. And if they're not in alignment, what needs to happen to make sure that they are? And I, I talk a lot with my, my clients about self-care in this last year specifically. I think a lot of the stress has been unnamed, but it's there. And just to help people step back and what are you doing right now to take care of yourself? And how are you taking care of your family? And then how are you taking care of your staff in that order? Yeah, so I want to go back to this. I'm I'm really glad that you brought this up about your last few months at this consulting firm where you said, I didn't care. You know, this I don't care attitude because I've I've already decided what my exit strategy is. But I I, I wanna I wanna uh dig into that a little bit because I think that you, it wasn't that you didn't care, is that you changed what you cared about. Yes. You went from I care about me to I care about we. I always tell people leadership is about we. It's not about me. So you focused all your time and energy on your team. And you didn't well, worry about what people thought about you anymore. I would say be, prior to that, I, I cared about my team 
as well. I, but I think in those last few months, it just really helped me get clear on what was in my control and what wasn't. And I stopped caring about the things that weren't in my control. And I stopped caring about what people thought about me. I think those were the distinct shifts. Yeah, but you see, here, here's the thing is if you if you care about what people think about you, no matter how much you try to hide that as a leader, if that mindset is there, your team is going to sense that you care about what happens to you at least as much as what happens to them. That's fair. When you, when you put that aside and you throw it away and you say, I don't care what happens to me. I'm, I'm leaving anyway. You know, you got this carefree attitude. How can I help you to the point where you were focused on the people that are not, not getting their billable hours. You're helping them get a little extra over here. And, and, but there's an attitude about that, that people can feel from a leader, no matter how much you try to hide it otherwise. Yes. 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 I would agree with that. That's powerful. Yes. Yes. And it's, I think a key to success in my business now is the more I focus on what are the needs out there? What are the pain points? How can I be helpful to other people? That's when I got into that mindset. That's when my company really started to flourish because there, people can tell the difference mm-hmm. and that, you know, and I've been on the receiving end of other consultants who are just desperate for work and, and they get clingy and, and it makes you want to back off and, <laughs> versus somebody who says, Hey, I can do this. And I've noticed there's a need for that. And like, how can we partner together to make this great? And, and it's so fun to work with people like that. Yeah, that's it's a great point. Even in, in these times when people are struggling to close business and, you know, I get calls from, you know, salespeople, business development people all the time. And if there's a service that I need and I, they sound desperate, well, I know I can negotiate. Hmm. I can negotiate the heck out of this. In fact, I just say, well, so I'm getting COVID pricing, right? You know, and you can just tell that from somebody else. Sometimes I'll just share with them. I'm not going to I'm not going to buy from you because I don't need what you're offering right now. But I'd like to suggest a couple of things, if you don't mind. And I Do ask you for really? Permission. That's fantastic. Oh, yeah. And I'll, and I'll tell them because I feel bad that they're so desperate. I said, you sound like what you have is a good you're a good person. You're good. It sounds like a great product. Let me tell you how you're coming across. Give you some feedback. And, and, uh, if I can help you, I was a VP of sales and marketing for three different companies. So when people are violating those sales things, mm-hmm. sometimes I can't help myself. And nine times out of 10, people are very open to that. Cause you see, I don't know if you know this, but leadership is a responsibility, not a position. So I take a leadership opportunity to try to teach, coach and train, even with that. And most of the time people are very thankful for it. And every once in a while I'll get an email back and somebody will say, Oh, that was great. It really worked. I really appreciate it because I'm trying to put food on the table for my family. Yeah. Right. So anywhere we can help. Right. So that's what you do today is based on your experience and what you've been through all these years. You now see the need for the balance between your personal life, your professional life. And now you help other leaders do that. How do you do that? How do you, you know, uh, go through a process with some of these leaders to convince them that balance is necessary. Cause you wouldn't listen to people back in the day. <laughs> that's, right? That's true. That's true. And well, first of all, you know, this as a coach as well, everybody's different. So no two co- coaching engagements are the same. 
Uh, I do have some exercises I like to use with my clients. Um, one is to have them over the course of a week or even two weeks make a list of everything they do that energizes them and then a list, separate list of everything that drains them or that they are procrastinating, avoiding. And then we look at that and, okay, how do you get more of that first list and how do you delegate or just get rid of the stuff that drains you? And uh, and that is a good exercise for people to think. I, I had a client I worked with recently who was feeling a lot of frustration in his job. And we identified that he had a strong drive to having really good working relationships. But then he also had this commitment to high quality products on time and that task focus. And they, they sometimes were at odds with each other. He found himself holding back with feedback to people. And then we realized there were some circumstances where it would serve him and his team to be giving that feedback. And there are other times where that feedback might have just made him feel better, but the person on the receiving end, maybe it's not somebody who works with often or it just has a persnickety personality and wasn't going to change. So we started helping him identify when it was worth his time and effort to worry about a situation and take action on it versus when to just let it go. And as he created some intentionality on those thoughts, we he, he started a frustration or irritation log. That's what we called it. <laughs> he started tracking things that irritated him. And he found a lot of times when he just wrote it down, then he was like, okay, I'm irritated. Now I can move on. And he feels a lot now, mm. a lot more in control of, the things that are going on day to day and his emotions are a lot more steady because he's not letting everything that flits by get under his skin. So that, those are like things I like helping my clients get a handle on. It's just really what do you want to own and what do you want to let go of without the outside pressures of what the company expects or what does the team expect and so forth. Yeah, and this this is the the exercise that you just talked about is very powerful. And, and full disclosure, in our conversation before this podcast, you suggested that to me because of some of the stuff I've I've been working on. And and I said to you, I feel like I'm my schedule's out of control. And you said, Well, what can you delegate? Write things down. So I did that, and I haven't told you this, but I started a campaign on Monday on talking about bad bosses and get rid of bad bosses. And I wanted to create a list of all of the possible things that I might be able to talk about. And after talking with you, I delegated that task to my brother who works with me. And within 48 hours, he gave me a list of 25 topics that I could cover. I said, just go on Google and do this and do that. And he came up to, and I was like, wow, this is really cool that I, you know, so I've got like several weeks of, of, of topics now because of what you suggested and some other, other things that I've delegated because you asked me to go through that. So I, I just wanted you to know that, that thank you, that you helped me. And I think that you do that with a lot of people. Thank you. I'm glad to hear that. And I think another thing about coaching that's important is that you want to work with people who are coachable and it'd be easy for someone like you with a PhD and you know, I've got my podcast be like, Hey, I I'm fine. I don't need any help. But I love that you were open to a different idea that you took some time to think about it and you took action 
and you are not only a wonderful coach, but you are a very coachable client. And that, and I think people in the audience need to understand that, you know, working with a coach, you've really got to be ready to put aside some paradigms and maybe even some arrogance and be open to there could be a different way to be looking at this. Yeah, and I think that's the thing to look at. It's a different way, not quote unquote the right way. And people often they go, well, what's the right way? No, it's not about that. It's about options. It's about making choices, you know, like you talk about. And and I I think that um one of the things that that I think is powerful in the way you go about this is it's it's a self-discovery process. And that's what you do by asking them, just track things for a couple of weeks. Let's see what happens. And you're, you're trying to get them to become more and more aware, right? And then you said something about this particular, the story that you were telling that I, I thought was, uh, was, was fascinating. Write down the things that you have these emotional triggers to, my words, but, and you said the guy gets irritated and he looks at what gets irritated. And what you said was he looks at, he goes, Oh, I'm irritated. Okay which is a acceptance of the emotion. Just there it is. He doesn't sit there and go, Oh my God, why am I getting irritated? Now, now they're getting angry at themselves for getting irritated. Right. <laughs> yes. Which happens a lot, right? Like there's something wrong with me because that triggers me to the irritation rather than just saying, Oh, look at that. I get irritated and then let it go. Mm-hmm. And it's not that complicated, but it's not that easy either to be able to do some of the things that you talk about. Yes, definitely takes practice. That's for sure. Exactly. So now that you're not invincible <laughs> as we, as we started and, and none of us are, I, I want to ask you that, first of all, is there anything else that you'd like to share about this leadership journey before I ask my final question? Always, I don't know if I told you what my final question is, but is there anything else you'd like to share before I ask you the last question? You know, there's, there is one thing, and I recently sent a little happy birthday text to one of my former employees that became a good friend, and she wrote me back and said, I just want you to know, I still call you the best boss I ever had. You taught me how to lead. And what's interesting, I don't share that as a pat on my own shoulder, but I think of her as one of the best employees I had because she was brave enough to give me feedback. And you know, I... I think sometimes when we become a boss or we are a boss, people just assume that you just know everything and how to be a great boss. And there were things I already knew and there were examples I could follow, but I, there were some bumps in the road and she was one who was brave enough to hold that mirror up to my face and in very appropriate ways, you know, and often she would ask permission, can I give you some feedback? And I, I just love that we had that kind of relationship and it's a really a two-way street. Not Bosses should not just be giving feedback to their employees. They should be asking for their feedback as well. Well, in fact, the only way to ever find out how good a boss you are is to ask your direct reports. Yes. That's the only way. And it's scary. <laughs> it's scary. <laughs> it is. Can I give you some feedback? I go. Maybe. <laughs> and every so often you might say, this is not a good time. How about if right. you come back tomorrow? Right? Yes. So if you're not ready for it. So that's, that's great. Yeah. So my last question, and I always ask this, is, is if you could write yourself a letter and send it back to Jen 20, 25 years ago, 
maybe to that invincible gen, maybe to the one that's starting this business, maybe to somebody even younger when you're when you're starting off. What would you put in that letter? What would you tell the younger gen? It's a great question. I would say slow down and take more time to be present and enjoy the stage of life that you're in. I think if I would mm. have focused on that more, it would have been easier for me to not lose sight of what I valued most. And I think the other thing I would add, so this last summer, I worked with a coach, Milo Razzo. He's fantastic. And one thing he helped me work through was creating my own mission statement, like my personal mission statement. Like, what is it that I want to impart? What do I have to offer the world that no one else can? And it was really hard thing to do. I ended up with my own little, uh, we call it a manifesto instead of a manifesto. But going through that exercise and getting clear about what is it you want to accomplish on a personal and professional level and letting that be your guiding star by which everything else is measured. I mean, that's been life-changing for me in the months since that. And I love that I took that time and space to figure that out in 2020 because I'm super excited about what this next year is going to bring as I focus on my manifesto. Yeah, that's great. And interestingly enough, in the seven steps of intentional leadership and leadership program, the framework that we offer, step one is purpose. And the first component is writing a personal mission statement. So it's inside out. You go on the inside. You guys, what do you stand for? What kind of life do you want to live? What kind of person do you want to show up as every day? And when you put that out there, like you said, it becomes your guiding star. It becomes your compass. It keeps you on path. And as I say, for a lot of leaders, when you write this and for someone that's been through a lot in leadership development over the years, for you to say, yeah, it was it was hard to write. It took me some time. I really had to focus. It's a good message for people to hear because I haven't met anybody that's able to write it like in one session, taking a couple of hours. And it takes time. It takes introspection. It takes depth of thought. And to your point, sometimes it takes some feedback from people around us because there's things about us we don't see. There's there's aspects of us, both positive and negative. There's talents that we don't even see in ourselves that other people see in us. I always tell people, listen for the wow. Wow, Jen, how do you do that? You go, it's easy. Yeah, well, the easy is the talent. And taking that talent and strengthen it through education and practice, as you talked about earlier, and detracting, taking away from the detractors so that your energy is focused on those strengths. It's all part of this thing we call life. And once we get pretty good at that, then we can be leaders. Well said. So I, I, I appreciate that. So, Jen, any final comments, any last statements that you'd like to make for today? Oh, just that this has been so fun. And if anybody wanted to reach out to me and just have a conversation about coaching or what I do, I have a website and that is ambitionleadership.com. And I would love to hear from people and see what can I do to help you just really maximize what you want to do and get rid of the things you don't like and be your best authentic self. That's that's excellent. And we will also have contact information for Jen in our show notes so that they can uh, get a hold of you through that. 
But Jen, thank you very much for being our guest today, leading from the front. This has been awesome. It's always great to talk to another leadership coach and somebody who's making a difference with our business leaders that need it so badly. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun. I'm Dr. Gary, making good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability. Thanks again for listening to Leading from the Front, where leadership is a responsibility, not a position. Take care, be well, and be great. Thanks for being with us on Leading from the Front with Dr. Gary McGrath. Remember to subscribe to this podcast on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about the work Dr. Gary is doing, visit statarius.com. S-T-A-T-A-R-I-U-S dot com. Music for Leading from the Front is provided by Peter Katz. For more of his music, visit petercats.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>